So I'll be reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 45. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, if you read just a few verses ahead in this section of Acts, which we've been preaching in, Peter preached a sermon. 3,000 people came to Christ that day. It's pretty amazing. 3,000. The church grows from 120 to 3,000. That's, that's a challenge for a group of men seeking to lead the church. But the body responded in amazing ways. And one of the things that you witness here is that there was this incredible act of selflessness. Now listen to what Luke tells us. He says that they had all things in common. Verse 44. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, it's interesting, that was never commanded. Uh, we never read that that was commanded by Peter in his sermon, but their response to the generosity of God was to move in this incredibly selfless act so that they did see themselves as not possessing things that were their own, and they began to sell everything so that any in their midst would have no need. Now, that's pretty remarkable. When we study the book of Acts, one thing that's very important for us is to understand what was normative, meaning what was normal for the church then that is also normal for the church today? And then what was unique? What was specific? For example, Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was unique. It was a special outpouring of the Spirit that has not been replicated in the church. And the expectation is not that that form of act is going to be done again. The, the apostles' miraculous works and the ability to do miracles and heal was a specific event in time to really give authority to the church. And so when we hear something like this, it's a fair question for people to say, is that what the church is supposed to be doing today? In other words, if you were to profess faith in Jesus Christ and become a believer, should the one who led you to Christ now say, you're to go and sell everything you own and give it to the church, and then that will be distributed. Now imagine what would happen if I said, that's normative and we're gonna start doing that today. So get out all your papers, get out the things that indicate that you own something and I want you to go home and I want you to begin to move towards selling it. I wonder what would happen next week. I'm guessing the church would triple in size. <laughs> I'm guessing people would begin to say, I'm going there. I, I don't really know what would happen but my guess is my email box would get full. You would really argue with me and you would say, I don't think that's what the text is teaching. And actually I tell you, you're right. I don't think the text is teaching that. I don't think the text is teaching us in the whole of scripture that we're not to own things or possess things. So you might feel like you're off the hook. Not so fast though. Because what is normative of the church is to be radically generous. What is normative of the church is to be selfless. What is normative of the church then and for always is to constantly consider the needs of the world around us and to give generously as God calls us to give. Would you all agree with that? Say amen if you would. Amen. Say amen if you wouldn't. That's just kind of for fun. All right. You can't argue that Christ 
the head of the church, our Father and the Holy Spirit is not calling us to be radically generous, to be radically selfless, to really understand that all that we have been given has been received. The Lord is the one who owns all of it. And when we see the opportunity to extend the kingdom, when we see the opportunity to meet needs that exist within the body and within a city, within a country and a world, Christians should absolutely be the most generous. We should be the ones quickest to our knees to say, God, how do you want us to live? How do you want us to give? That should be something that we all have in common, no matter your portfolio, no matter your accounts, no matter if it's full and big beyond your ability to even comprehend, or you're living paycheck to paycheck. All of us should have that in common, that we are seeking to be radically generous. Radically generous. But I wanna show you something that I think is easy to miss. Because the radical response that these 3,000 had to the gospel, it's easy to see that, as Luke records it, they begin to sell their things. It's, it's easy to go to that place and say, what does that mean for us? When Luke says they had all things in common, what did it look like? What kind of impact did it have on the community around them? But I don't want you to run there because I think you're going to miss what led them to that place. Again, it wasn't any recorded specific teaching that Peter gave in his sermon that had them respond that way. It was something else. And it's something else that they had in common that is easy to miss. So look back at your Bible or in the bulletin. Verse, the first verse we looked at, chapter 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now listen to this, verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. I want to spend time there. Before Luke records that they had everything in common because they were selling their positions, what they had in common was awe, A-W-E. They were in awe at what they had seen. They were in awe of what they had suddenly heard. And because of the awe which had moved so radically into their hearts, again, Luke says, an awe came upon, what's it say? Every soul, not just some of the souls, not just those who are a little more radical, awe came upon every soul. Because of that awe, it led them to do things that I think the world looked at with awe. Why would they do this? Why would they be so generous? Why would they act so selflessly? It was because of this. They were in awe of God. As we move into this season of Advent, into this time of celebrating the coming of Christ, we need to consider our awe. First, I want to say this. Whether you know it or not, as a child created by God, in fact, everyone created by God is hardwired for awe. Every one of us. Every person that has been knit together in their mother's womb, every child that's born, every senior living in our midst, every child living in our midst, we all were created for all. We are hardwired for it. I remember a Christmas. In fact, it was the first Christmas we celebrated in Dallas. My youngest, or my oldest son, he was the youngest child we had at the time, Caden, came out on Christmas morning. We were living in an apartment on the third floor of a small apartment complex. 
And he walked out and he saw the Christmas tree. And then he said a word that we had never heard him say. He just looked at the tree and looked at one specific gift that he knew was his. And he said, awesome. <laughs> I'd never heard him say it. Christina had never heard him say it. He was looking at a little BMX bike with training wheels. And to his little mind, his little eyes, his little heart, that was awesome. And he said so. He had never used that word. It's not a word that we use all the time, but he knew that what he was witnessing was awesome. We still have that bike. He doesn't ride it anymore. Our youngest son doesn't ride it anymore. I keep it in the garage hanging up. You know why? Because it reminds me of the moment in his life when something was suddenly awesome. We were created for awesome. We were created to see things and go, that is amazing. And the reason is because our creator is awesome. And God has created an awesome world. The things that he's created are meant for our pleasure. No wonder when we see commonly a sunset that's incredible that we say, that is awesome. Or maybe you say, that's God showing off. Look at the glory of God and the trees that are beginning to change. Think about the glory of God as he knows each leaf. Look at his grand part of creation, which is human beings, and see that he knows the hair that's on every head. He has them numbered. That's awesome. God has hardwired us for all because he is an awesome God. He is a God who has created an awesome world. And he has created in us what Paul Tripp calls an awe capacity with awe sensors. And here's what he means. Our eyes, our ears, our tongues, our fingers, our mind, our heart, are all these gates to awe. So that when we are little and we, we touch something for the first time that's interesting, though a child can't speak, they're letting you know this is, this is awesome. When you give a child ice cream for the first time, their body shakes. They want more because that is the best thing that's ever been put into their mouth. And they'll do whatever they can to get more. As we get older, we don't really change that much. There are things that we see and touch and taste that make us say, that was awesome. A few minutes ago, you experienced it because you heard the choir sing something beautiful after our dear sister sang something beautiful. And you knew it was truly awesome because it was directed to the glory of God by the gifts that someone is using. If I was to stand there and sing the very same song, even if Stephen was playing the piano, it would have been awkward. It would have been uncomfortable because you know what is awesome and that wouldn't have been. It's just true. We are wired for awesomeness. Not to be awesome, but to see it and to say, I am in awe of that. But we have a problem and it's an awe problem. And the reason it is, is because this side of heaven, we are tempted to have our awe placed in created things rather than the creator. It's what happened in the beginning. It's how Paul starts the book of Romans. Chapter one, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. So right now, your, your children are receiving magazines, catalogs. And even if you don't know they're doing it, 
They're taking pencils and pens and they're beginning to circle things that they want for Christmas. They're fixing their eyes on those things, dropping subtle hints that this is what I would like. Now, some of you would be like, that's inappropriate. You shouldn't allow them to do that. Maybe you're right. But let me ask you, what are you circling right now? Whether it's in a magazine or not, what's in your catalog? What are you looking at that's a material thing and thinking, that is awesome. That's going to give me life. It might not be a material thing. It might be a title. It might be the, the praise of a person. It might be moving from singleness to being married. It, it might be moving from some place where you're in a position of brokenness to somewhere else and defining it in a way God wouldn't. All of us are tempted to fix our eyes on created things rather than the creator. And my friends, oftentimes these created things are actually good. I am not gonna stand up here and say that all created things are bad. I believe because God made us for all that he has given us the desire to experience the pleasure of the things that he has made. I mean, God could have simply said, in order for you to be healthy every day, all you need to do is take this gray pill. You don't need to taste the texture of a pear. You don't need to see the, the fields ripe for harvest. And I don't mean spiritually speaking, true fields ripe with corn or coffee beans. He could have just said, take this every day of your life, but he didn't. He wants us to enjoy the things that he has created for his glory. But what he never wants is for us to be in awe of the created thing rather than the creator. And so we have an awe problem because if we're honest, we must admit that a deadly transaction takes place constantly in us where we say this thing made by God is what's gonna give me life or more of this thing made by God is gonna give me life. It never will. You will have an insatiable appetite to pursue things that you think are gonna give you life other than God. And the reason it's insatiable is because it is. You will never be satisfied. And God knows it. And so what God did in order to, create, to correct this awe problem is he sent his one and only son into the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. You ever heard it? Are you in awe of it? Or has it become so familiar in your heart and mind that the very thought that the living God gave his only son that we might live forever has lost its awe and wonder in your life? I remember a woman who told her story of coming to Christ. And the way she did it was she was in a large aquarium in Tampa Bay, Florida. She had worked there and she was a scientist. In order to tell her testimony to hundreds of students that were there, she floated down into a tank with sharks and all other types of marine life swimming around her. All these things that God had made for his creation, all these things that he made for his glory, all these things that you and I can see and say, that is amazing, that is awesome. And then she floats down into the tank. And as she is there kind of hovering in the water, she holds up a sign, the first thing she does, and it says John 3, 16. She then tells her story of how she came to faith. And it was during a Super Bowl when she was watching with some friends. And she said to somebody, I see that sign all the time. 
when someone's kicking a field goal. What does it mean? And somebody there heard her say that, and the Lord used that individual to lead her to Christ. That is awesome. That is what the first person who ever wrote that sign wanted to see happen. Maybe they ever wondered if it did, but it did in this woman's life. We, as we grow in our faith, are tempted to lose the awe and wonder of what God has given. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God the Father gave us his son. His son lived a perfect life and died the perfect death that all who would trust in him would live for all eternity. We have an awe problem when that no longer overwhelms our souls. We have an awe problem when we can hear that and nothing really begins to happen inside us. So how do we fix it? How can we move from this misdirected awe, this awe problem to the right kind of awe? Well, listen as I land the plane. Jesus Christ was sent into this world to restore your right awe. He was sent into this world to fix something that we could never fix ourselves. The picture of Christ coming is in Genesis 3, when the first man and the first woman exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They're in the midst of perfect creation, eating perfect food and perfect fellowship in perfect state of mind and heart and in relationship that was perfect. They exchanged awe because they had an awe problem and surrendered to the temptation of our enemy. How is it restored? Well, first, it's restored by grace. Notice that in Luke's narrative in chapter 2 of Acts, he says, and awe came upon every one of them, every soul. Awe actually is something that we receive. If you think about it, it's true. You may be in awe of something you've, you've created, but if you are an artistic type and create something, I imagine you're quick to admit, God is so good. What he made me see and what he allowed my hands to do is, is awesome. Whether you're a musician or an artist or a scientist or a teacher or a mom, you give God glory because you know it's his grace. Awe is something that is first of all received. And it's by God's grace that we receive any of it. But awe is also something that is to be pursued. And this is important. It's always about God's grace. But God's word clearly indicates that we are to seek his face, to seek his glory. Matthew said, seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And you actually see that that's what's happening here. This crowd of who knows how many thousands that heard the gospel, 3,000 responded. And now they have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's by God's grace. But God, who ordains the means as well as the ends, is also showing them what their responsibility is. And Luke tells us, right here in the first verse we looked at, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every one of them. It wasn't just the awe of Pentecost. It wasn't just the awe of their justification. It was also the awe that they were experiencing as they were one in common. 
submitting themselves to the teached and preached word of God. All came upon them as they were breaking bread together. All came upon them as they were praying as the Lord had delivered that means of grace as well. They were devoted to these things, the word, to prayer, and to fellowship. And when we devote ourselves to those things, and we hear time and time again the grace of the cross being preached, our lives will be transformed with a renewed awe, actually possibly every day, as the Lord gives to us his mercies made new each morning. So let's be honest. If you're like me, this side of heaven, you have an awe problem. You know you're wired for it, but you also know because of the brokenness that you're tempted to find awe in other things, created things more than the creator. We are. And so what do we do? First, we cry out to the Lord for his grace. I don't want you to miss this. If your life right now is wrapped up deeply in the awe of created things, trophies, titles, toys, whatever you want to say, the grace of God is there for you. He is not waiting for you to explain your debt. He is not waiting for you to explain your addiction to shopping. He is not waiting for you to live in the right amount of shame when you open your closet and it's full and you say, I have nothing to wear. God is not waiting for you to get it right before you come to him with the right amount of all. What God in his grace is saying to you is come, run into my arms. I died for you because of this awe problem and I alone can restore the right awe in your life. Come right now, come for deliverance, come for peace, come for hope, come to me. And the God who provides grace for this struggle tells us, don't hide, don't live in shame. Don't wait until you get your checkbook balanced. Don't wait until you think you've got the right ideas about stewardship. He's saying, come. Come and be in awe and wonder of what I give to you. Because the kind of awe I'm preaching about is received. It is. But be encouraged. You've put yourself in position this morning to be in the place where the word is taught, prayers are offered, and the fellowship of the saints are around this sanctuary. That's how I want to end. Awe in God, the creator, is contagious. Awe in created things is also contagious. May we, his bride, run to him together and say, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let me receive from you the right kind of awe. And then the community that happens from that will be unlike what I think we can even ask or imagine because it's born out of an awe that is centered on God.
Lord Jesus, that was my prayer. You heard it. You lived to intercede for it. And now in the remaining minutes that we have together, I pray that you would lift our eyes to see you. Lord, if there are any in this body who have need for prayer, bring them to the corners where people will be there to pray with them. And let us, Lord, run to you, not from you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.